shall turn again for a short time this evening to the chapter which we read together, Luke chapter 12. And I would like us to focus our meditation this evening on the words of verse 32. Gospel of Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And I would like, as the Lord enables us to focus on the counsel of the Lord, to fear not, and then secondly, to look at this little flock, and thirdly, to focus on the Father's good pleasure. You see, this <coughs> counsel of the Lord Jesus we find frequently in the Scriptures. And throughout the Scriptures, we are told to fear not. Fear not. How often the Lord encourages his disciples not to fear. Now, fear is something that we all struggle with. We are besieged by fears. Fear entered the experience of man in the Garden of Eden when Adam transgressed God's holy law. When Adam sinned, fear took hold of the heart of man. <coughs> and there we find Adam in the Garden and he turns his back on his maker, on his creator. And he goes and tries to hide himself amongst the trees of the garden. Wracked with guilt. Guilt for his sin. Conscious of his sin. He seeks to hide from God. And then we hear these words from his, from his lips. I was afraid. I was afraid. There he is, separated from the fellowship and the communion that he had previously enjoyed. And fear takes hold of his heart. And there is Adam, the federal head of mankind, representing mankind. And this fear that Adam experiences is passed down to all of his descendants. Fear not, the Lord says. It's a comforting word here from the Saviour to his little band of disciples. Fear not. And though we have the grace of God in our hearts this evening, that does not mean that all fear is dispelled. There's no guarantee that being found in Christ that we are not afflicted by fear. We have many fears. And the Lord in this passage highlights a number of fears. In verse 4, he says, Do not fear those who kill the body. And after that have nothing more that they can do. 
But fear him, who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He brings us to the fear of man. And he shows us how we ought to fear God. And he shows us how intimately the Lord looks upon the affairs of his people. When he speaks of two sparrows being sold for two pennies. And not one of them will fall to the ground without our Father in heaven knowing. And he says, of what value then are you? Oh, you are valued to the Lord. He says that even the hairs of your head are numbered by him. <coughs> you, friend, are of more value to him than many sparrows. In verse 11, he says, when they bring you before the synagogues, the rulers, the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that hour what you want to say. Well, friends, isn't this so applicable to the day in which we are, when we see the persecution of Christians for their faith? And many being persecuted and being brought even before the authorities in our land. But the Lord says, do not fear. For he has given to us his comforter. And even at that hour of trial, he will deal with us. And the, the promised comforter will tell us what we ought to say. In verse 22, he says to his disciples, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. He asked them to consider the ravens. They do not sow, they do not plant, they do not harvest, they don't have storehouses or barns. But the Lord provides for each and every one of them. And if he provides for the ravens, will he not provide for you? Why be anxious? Why be anxious about having clothing to put on? He says, look at the lilies. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And I tell you that not even King Solomon in all of his glory was arrayed like one of these. So he asks us not to be fearing about the temporal things of life. We should not be consumed with fear. Little flock, he says, do not fear. For it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We have this parable then of the foolishness of worldly mindedness. As we present it with the rich young farmer. We're all familiar with the rich young farmer. And how he focused his life on getting more and more from the land. 
He was not content with what he had, but he wanted, he always wanted more. And he built for himself bigger barns to hold all his goods. And he said to his soul, soul, take thy needs. You have many goods stored up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. But what did God say of that young man? God said, Thou fool, thou fool, this day thy soul shall be required of thee, and then whose shall all these things be? Well, is that not so typical of the day and generation that we live in? Men and women are consumed with filling their lives with material possessions. And they think that if they have this latest gadget or piece of technology, that they'll be happy. And they fill their lives with things of this world, to the neglect of the needs of their soul. And he brings before us what our great need is, the great need of man, is to be found right with God, to be found in Christ. We ought to be like the Apostle Paul, who could say, I have learned in whatever state I am, therewith to be content. Our Father in heaven will provide for all of the temporal needs of his people. The man who can say in his soul tonight, the Lord is my shepherd, is the man that can say with confidence, I shall not want. Because this is the shepherd who takes care of each and every one of his flock. The psalmist could say, I have been young and now I'm old. And yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. The Lord takes care of those that are his own. But there are many believers in this world who are besieged by fear. They're like John Bunyan's Mr. Fear, always fearing, always anxious, always worried, always concerned. Now there are many reasons that give cause for fear in our souls. There are some who fear their standing before God. And they ask if they are found in Christ or if they are not. They have this great fear that they are not in Christ. They ask, am I saved? There are others who fear that they didn't start out aright in the Christian life. They hear testimonies of others. And they had no experience like the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road where he met with Jesus. They didn't have the experience of John Newton nor the Philippian jailer. And they question 
whether the Lord ever began a work in their souls. Perhaps they had an experience that was more akin to the experience of Lydia, whose heart was gradually opened by the Lord, and slowly they were drawn to the things of God and drawn to God. It was such a slow and gradual conversion that they cannot say the day nor the hour where they came to faith. Reverend Murdoch Campbell says in one of his books that God is as effectually present in the dew of his grace as he is in the stroke of his sword or the thunder of his power. God is as effectually present in the dew and the still and calm working of his grace as he is with his thundering, powerful voice. Maybe you're here tonight and this is your fear that you were never really converted, that you've never found Christ for yourself. When Spurgeon says, we do not need to know the day of our birth to know that we are alive. And what is true of the natural is true of the spiritual. Maybe you can't tell the day or the hour when you came to Christ. But friend, if your desire and if your love is for the Lord, then you have evidences of the grace of God in your life. Some feel that the rest of God's people have something that they lack. They feel that they have less than all of the rest of God's people. They love the company of these people. They love their fellowship. But they fear that they are not one of their number. That they are outsiders. There are some that fear that they were not elected. <coughs> they were not called by God. Now we're asked in scripture to make our calling and our election sure. There was a question meeting once took place in the north of Scotland. And this was the text that they had at that question meeting. Make your calling and your election sure. Because this is something that many struggle with within the church of God. And there was an old man, an old retired soldier in the company that day and he was asked to speak to the question. And he's mentioned when he spoke that he received regularly as a pensioned soldier the king's allowance. And he said that he had never seen his name in the great book in London. But the fact that week by week he was provided with his allowance and his purse contained the king's coins, that that was an evidence that his book was there in that, that his name was there in that book in London. 
Similarly, he said it is true of God's people. There are those who receive their portion of grace in life. They receive their portion of grace. And that in itself is a proof that their name is to be found in the Lamb's book of life. Or there are many of God's dear people who live their lives under the shadow of fear, under the shadow of fear and anxiety. Hector MacPhail of Resolis was once preaching a sermon, and he was preaching on this cry of Job, that cry of despair, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. And Dr. Hector MacPhail asked, where can we find Christ for Job? Well, he said, surely we can find him in that cry of Job's heart. In that cry, oh, that I knew where I might find him. Friends, we must remember that the natural man does not want the things of God. He does not desire the things of God. The things of God are foolishness to the natural man. But to the man who has been born by God's grace, the word of God is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Sometimes our fears, our anxieties, our worries, are in themselves a token that we are in Christ. There are others of God's flock who fear because of the dark providences that afflict them in life. They meet with these hard, <coughs> difficult providences and they ask, why has that been placed in their portion in God's plan. And though God assures us in his word that all things work together for good to those that believe in him, sometimes the Lord's people are like Jacob, where he was bowed down with grief, and where he cried, all things are against me. Sometimes that is how we feel. Fear takes hold, and we fear that everything is against us. But the Lord calls us not to fear. Fear not. But by faith, to seek after the kingdom of God. Fear not, little flock. And can we look at this little flock of God? Here is the Lord Jesus with his little band of disciples. These ordinary men. These fishermen. They were not held highly by society. <coughs> society did not regard them. But notice, friends, how kind how kindly the Lord Jesus 
speaks to this group of men. How tender he is in his words with them. They are here, they're few in number. But he calls them his flock. They are his flock. And by calling them his flock, he makes himself their shepherd. The Lord is their shepherd. Notice in this little verse, verse 32, we have there Christ in his office as a shepherd. Fear not, little flock. If, if his people are the flock, then he is their shepherd. For it is your father's good pleasure. He is a father. He is a shepherd to give you the kingdom. Well, if there's a kingdom, then he is the king. He is our shepherd. He is our father. He is our king. As a shepherd Christ, he will take care of his little flock. He will feed them. He will tend to their needs. He will protect them, for they are every one of them precious to him. Not one of them can be lost. How many there are that are cast down and despondent when they look at how small the church of Christ seems in our day. But he says to us, be not afraid. Perhaps you can remember better days. Days where the churches were full. Where there were those that believed in Christ in almost every house in your village. And now they number such a small, a small group. But remember that Christ has always got a small flock. They are a small flock that believe in him. And he has often displayed his richest blessings where there are two or three gathered in his name. Christ's flock, friends, is a small flock. Whether it's in a congregation of five you're to be found or a congregation of five thousand, it's a small flock. When you compare that number to the multitudes that know not God, those that are to be found, that great mass of unbelievers that surround us, there are millions who do not know God. And when we see the church decline and the world becoming more and more antagonistic towards the gospel. Maybe we, are, we tend to fear. And this little band of disciples, they had left all to follow Christ. They left their boats, they left their nets, they left all that they had, and they followed him. They were poor men, and like their master, here they are and they have not a place where to lay their hands. They had little prestige. They had no social status, education, influence. But when the Holy Ghost was given to these men and they spoke <coughs> with their country accents, they were accompanied with great power 
And these were the men that the Lord had selected to turn the world upside down, to convert the world. Believers are a little flock. They always were a little flock, those that believed in the Lord. Since the beginning of the world, straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and few that be that find it. And here is Christ with this little flock of disciples. Notice how Christ often speaks sternly. He speaks sternly to those who are out with. Those who are out with the camp. But he speaks kindly, graciously, lovingly to his own disciples. He opens his heart to this little band of brothers. And he shares all with them. Didn't he say to them on one occasion, If it were not so, I would have told you. He reveals to them what he receives from the Father. He has sympathy with his little flock. The world despises them. The world ridicules them. But how precious this little group are in the eyes of the Saviour. This little flock of God are often persecuted. They're often mocked, ridiculed, here on earth. (coughs) Like their master, they are despised. They're despised and rejected of men. And if we are members of this flock of Christ, then we ought not to be afraid. For we have been entrusted with great and precious promises in Scripture. If you are in Christ today, then all things are yours. God is yours. Christ is yours. Greater are those that are for us than those that are against us. The world, the flesh and the devil are our enemies. But with Christ as our shepherd, taking care for us, we have no cause to fear. Perhaps as a believer tonight, you feel that you have so little love for the Lord. You're of such little usefulness in the service of Christ. You have such little holiness in your life compared to what you ought to have. But friend, even in your weakness, if you are one of Christ's sheep, weak as you are, Christ says to you, fear not. Not many great according to the flesh were ever numbered amongst this flock. Not many great, not many mighty, not many noble are called. God has chosen the poor and the meek and the lowly, and he enriches them with the gifts of his kingdom. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Notice that he says, your Father's. He doesn't say it's my Father's 
good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He says, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He recognizes here that intimate relationship that he has with his disciples. And if God is their father and his father, then he becomes their brother. He puts himself on an equal footing with the disciples in this regard. They beheld his glory as he dwelt amongst them. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And when the Lord departed from his disciples, his believing people, the Comforter came into their experience to console them. Notice the words here, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He doesn't grudgingly accept them into the kingdom of heaven. It is his good pleasure to give them the kingdom. He's not unwilling to receive them. They're not given a cold reception from the Father. No, no. He rejoices over this little flock as members of his own beloved Son. As they believe in this Son of His, His beloved Son in whom He is well pleased, He sees all of their children in Christ, and He welcomes them into the kingdom with exceeding joy. Well, friend, are you a member of Christ's little flock tonight? Are you numbered amongst that number of His sheep? Well, if you are amongst them, then you ought not to be afraid. Here, friend, is the only kingdom that is worth labouring for. There are many in our world who labour for their own kingdoms, of the kingdoms of this world. But here we have a kingdom which has foundations, whose builder and whose maker is God. You see, the kingdoms of this world, they rise and they fall. We saw that with the great empires. The Roman Empire. The British Empire. There were times of where they rose and times where they fell. But here is a kingdom that shall stand forever. The kingdom of God. Here is a kingdom that will not pass away. You know, those who are preoccupied with the kingdoms of this world and they put all their energies into these kingdoms and have no word of the kingdom of God. They're like children building sand castles by the seashore, building castles in the sand and very soon these castles, these kingdoms will be swept away. But God's kingdom shall endure always. Do you belong to the kingdom of God tonight? Do you live for the kingdom of God? Or how we ought to seek the increase of this kingdom 
How we ought to exhort our neighbours, our friends, our families to seek first the kingdom of God. Well, if we're seeking this kingdom of God tonight, then we do not live as though we have nothing in this world but a body. We live like those that have an ever-dying soul, a soul that is to be lost or saved, a death that we must die, a God to meet, a judgment to experience, and an eternity in heaven or in hell. Let us not fear, friends, about earthly things. Your Father has given you a kingdom, and that kingdom is worth more than all the gold of this world. <coughs> I heard a story once about a, a man, and he was this was in the 19th century. He was employed as a street sweeper in one of the great cities of the UK. <coughs> he was a diligent and a hard worker, and he had bought for himself a broom. And it was with this broom that he earned his living, and he took great care of it. He had paid a few pence to purchase this broom. And one day as he was sweeping the streets, he felt a tap on his shoulder and he turned round and this was a solicitor from the town and the solicitor asked him are you Mr. So-and-so? And he said yes I am. <coughs> the solicitor asked him did your father live in such and such a place? And he said yes he did. And he asked him did your brother live in such and such a place and he said yes he said he did well the solicitor said <coughs> I have pleasure in telling you that you have come into an estate that is worth ten thousand pounds a year and with that this man left his work and he left his broom those things that he had counted as precious before in light of this inheritance, his perception on the things that were of value changed. Friends, is it not so for those who are seeking the kingdom of God? When we are seeking a great inheritance that God has prepared for his people, does our perception of the things of this world and the things, the material things of life, not change? Do we not seek to build for that kingdom that shall endure for aye? Spurgeon says, we are on board a ship today. <coughs> We're going to a land where every one of us shall be princes and kings. And let us take courage and take heart. Though the passage is rough, though the wind is boisterous, there is a kingdom in prospect. So let us make the best of the voyage. 
for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We ought to live in this world like servants who expect their master to soon return, fulfilling all our duties for the Lord. Well, friend, is that how you live your life? Are you a member of this little flock of Christ? Maybe you are and you feel your faith is like a as small as a grain of mustard seed. But what a prospect awaits us. Have you come to seek the Saviour, the one who is willing to save to the uttermost all those that come to him by faith? Have you passed from death unto life? Have you laid hold on the righteousness of Christ? Have you laid hold on the gospel of his grace? The Lord who is calling each and every one to come to him that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Well, if you're a member of this little flock, the Lord says to you tonight, fear not. Do not be anxious. Do not be afraid. The Father delights to freely give you the kingdom, the kingdom of, of God. It was purchased with a great price. It was purchased with the blood of Christ. But it is freely given to all those that put their faith in him. May God grant that each and every one of us will be found numbered amongst the sheep of Christ's flock. Let us pray. Gracious and ever-blessed God, as we come into thy presence once more this night, we thank thee, O Lord, for the warnings and the comfort of Scripture. We thank thee that thou hast provided all that we need for this life and for eternity in the gospel of thy Son. We ask that thou wouldst accept our worship this night, that thou, O Lord, would reveal thyself unto each of us, that thou wouldst purchase us with thine own blood, that we would be brought into that flock of God. <laughs> Hear all the prayers of thy people here, and continue with us as we go into another week, that we would set Christ before us, that thou, O Lord, would go before us as the breaker up of our way, that thou wouldst watch over us and lead us to thyself. Wash us in the precious blood of Christ, for we ask all in his name and for his sake. Amen. <coughs> <coughs> we shall bring our service to a close now singing in Psalm 145. <coughs> Psalm 145, the second version of that psalm. Psalm 145, <coughs> ready to sing from verse 9. That's on page 444. Psalm 145, the second version at verse 9. Good unto all men is the Lord, over all his works his mercy is.
Thy works all praise to thee afford. Thy saints, O Lord, thy name shall bless. The glory of thy kingdom show, shall they and of thy power tell, that so men's sons his deeds may know, his kingdom's grace that does excel. Thy kingdom hath none end at all, it doth through ages all remain. The Lord upholdeth all that fall, the castor raiseth up again. The eyes of all things, Lord, attend, and on the ways that here do live, and thou in season due dost send sufficient food them to relieve. Yea, thou thine hand dost open wide, and everything doth satisfy, that lives and doth on earth abide, of thy great liberality. The Lord is just in his ways all, and holy in his works each one. He is near to all that on him call, who calleth truth on him alone. These verses to God's praise. Good unto all men is the Lord, or all his works is mercy is. Good unto all men is the Lord, or all his works is mercy is thy words all praise to thee
Thou wouldst accept your worship this evening. That Thou, O Lord, would go before us as the breaker up of our way. And that Thou wouldst lift up our eyes that we would look unto Jesus. Accept us now, we pray, and go before us and part us with Thy blessing. For we ask all in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. <laughs>